Well, good afternoon and welcome to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen. Let's Talk is the program for the Christian layman, the Lutheran who believes but has questions. In short, the program is designed for someone just like me. You know, there's a lot I don't understand. It doesn't necessarily have to be soul-shaking. It might just be something that's been bugging me for a while. And I find that rather than getting into a deep chapter and verse theological discussion, sometimes just a casual front porch style talk with the pastor is the best way to understanding. That's what this program is all about. Today's guest is Lance O'Donnell of St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Nakamanawak, Wisconsin. I have my questions, and I'm sure you have yours. You can send your questions by email at any time to letstalk at kfuo.org or call in during the program. If you're in the St. Louis area, including Metro East, that number is 314-821-0850. Or in the lower 48, you can call us toll-free at area code 1-800-730-2727. Well, lads, I got to tell you, we had our first snow yesterday. Well... You couldn't have beaten us. We had the snowiest snowiest Halloween in Milwaukee's history. Oh, wow. Well, it wasn't heavy. I mean, it was just flurrying a little bit, but we definitely had snow. Yeah, I, I don't know what the count was, but uh, I see most of it's melted off the grass here at our place now. But we had four, five, six inches. Uh, it was bizarre wow. for, for Halloween. Did that uh, impact the trick-or-treaters? Uh, without a doubt, although in our particular community, they, we always do that the Saturday in Oconomowoc. They do that the Saturday before, uh-huh. so the kids aren't, aren't out the night uh, if it's a school night. But my my daughter and some of her sophomore high school friends went out in a nearby community and had some fun. But the she said people were practically throwing candy at them because I don't think they had very many kids out. <laughs> okay. So well, she was a happy girl. Yeah, well, you Wisconsin's are a tough breed. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Halloween, October 31st, also happens to be <clears throat> Reformation Day. Um, I had to explain this to my non-Lutheran wife uh, because yesterday we also were having our big uh, day sponsor luncheon here, you know, honoring people who have donated and been faithful listeners. And she looked at me and said, why are you going to hold something like that on Halloween? <laughs> <laughs> Why, why would you hold the yeah all that the donor party on Halloween? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you would have to. Yeah, that would that would that would be something the Roman Catholics would just kind of avoid. Well, that's exactly what she is. She's a Roman Catholic, and I yeah. very gently told her, uh, "Well, you heard about the ninety five thesis and the Reformation? Oh, okay, so." <laughs> we'll let it go at that. <laughs> so. Oh, okay, honey. Yeah. You, yeah. Oh, so, so what? The thing that gets me now, being as I am a communications professional, quote unquote, uh, why did Luther succeed where his predecessors, especially Jan Hus from uh, Bohemia? did not succeed. They had essentially the same message, but Luther succeeded. Huss was burned at the stake. My theory is it had the printing press, and they were able to spread Luther's teachings really wide and far in, in Europe. Uh, which Huss That didn't is have. without a doubt a part of it. That is without a doubt a part of it, and a significant part of it, but not the only part of it. Well, you know, back then, my understanding, you know, I'm not, I'm not a, medieval, a, a medieval scholar, but my understanding is that uh, 
One of the big things for entertainment back then were, you know, people would have these pamphlets. Uh, and, of course, you know, the majority of people then were illiterate, and I'm sure that a lot of the stuff Luther was writing was in Latin. But they would translate it, and there'd be discussions in taverns and in public places. I, I'm sure you've heard of the White Horse Inn. That was one of the big ones. Where yes. people would actually sit down and read these things, read them aloud, talk to people, and they discuss it. This was a really big deal for, for Europeans to be able to sit down and discuss this. You know, for the first time, they could actually talk about faith. You know, the Catholics uh, held most of their services in Latin and discouraged any kind of uh, faith, uh, any kind of discussion about about their teachings. But this was new. Well, and it, yeah, and even even I would imagine. Now, again, I'm not I'm, I'm not a medieval historian either, but it, the printing press wasn't invented that much long before Luther posted his 95 theses. So that easily printing something up and talking about it at a at a tavern or some other place, um, I w- I would think had to be a relatively new thing. And imagine also that. Because the Bible had now been translated into the vernacular, a printing press actually printed a Bible that people could read for the first time. Yeah, you're not talking about the Luther Bible. No, no, that comes a little. That comes a little bit later. Yeah, no, I understand that. But I mean, for example, I I, I actually saw a copy of the Gutenberg Bible at one point. Uh, but the idea being that suddenly, uh, you know. The, a little bit later on, but I mean, suddenly the Bible would be available for people to actually read on their own rather than having the priest tell them what it is. And that that would be a that would be a remarkable thing. Now, I I don't know the the economics of it, but it still had to be extraordinarily expensive. I mean, producing paper still was not cheap or easy. Producing a book, especially a book of that size. Um, still would have been, I would imagine, quite expensive. Certainly not as expensive as all the man hours that would go into hand copying it. Oh, but yeah. nevertheless, it couldn't have been cheap. And, you know, those there were the uh, the pamphlets and the uh, short sermons that Luther wrote. Uh, those were much more much more uh, less inexpensive uh, to to print. They were only a few pages in length, and were widely distributed. I mean, and they by they printed out. They were passed by hand, passed on to somebody else, passed on to somebody else. And before you knew it, his teachings were in England, or they were in France, they were in Italy, they were in Eastern Europe. It it, it explodes. It, it it is kind of a laugh to me. What what is some, what you know when we say pamphlet, mm-hmm. we we tend to think a. You know, an eight and a half by eleven or an eight by fourteen sheet folded over a couple times. You know, the little pamphlet um, for at this pamphlets at this time were often multiple pages, uh, often not just a you know just a single page. That we you know when we we would consider some of Luther's quote unquote pamphlets uh, basically a small book. Oh yeah, but I could easily see, for example, the tavern owner. Uh, would host a discussion, actually shelling out to get one of these pamphlets to bring in people to his tavern, you know, down the ale and get the food while he talked about what Luther had written. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I I would imagine, it, it, it well taking taking on the papacy openly mm-hmm. had to be quite a show all by itself. Um, regardless of what the guy said, um, because 
you know, the the papacy had not only spiritual power, but temporal power. Oh, very much uh, so. Earthly power. And so, you know, to, to kind of thumb your nose at the, at the Pope, um, that would have been a pretty good show all by itself, well, that, uh, regardless that's... of what he might have said, let alone the depth uh, of what Luther said when he said it. Well, that was one of the reasons why Frederick of, of Saxony gave sanctuary to uh, Luther. You know, Frederick was actually a Catholic. He never converted. But, right. there, but there was the political fight where he wanted to maintain his independence from the Vatican. And, of course, you know, the, he had the balance of power with the Holy Roman Emperor, who was also Catholic, but had to, had to walk uh, very, very lightly. And the idea being that uh, he suddenly the, all this property owned by the Catholic Church, which was tax-exempt, could now suddenly perhaps maybe become a tax source for the, uh, for the Protestant groups. The politics of that well, are fascinating. The politics are, and that's, you know, part of it. I mean, I, you know, you're a media guy, and, you know, you latch on to the printing press, and the printing press absolutely is a vehicle for discussion of this idea. And the historical account suggests Luther is at first blown away that his theses are translated into other languages and that they're, it's going all over Europe um, Shortly thereafter, he recognizes it and takes advantage and takes advantage of it. But uh, he's first blown away, blown away by it. The the fact that stuff could be relatively easily and somewhat cheaply printed and distributed is uh, is is a mind blowing, historically significant thing. What would have been some of the topics that might have been discussed in these gatherings where people wanted to talk about religious issues? As I said, you know, Luther wrote a number of different uh, different issues. But what were the ones that you think really piqued the interest of the of the crowd? Well, I would imagine it's not terribly different than things uh, in your own parish or in community. And people are interested in their pocketbooks, and f- from my understanding, the Germans are really ticked off about a lot of German money getting siphoned off to end up in Italy, and in particular for the building of the great big cathedral that we know as St. Peter's Basilica uh, today. Well, that was one of the main reasons for the selling of, uh, of indulgences, wasn't it? Was to raise money for, for the uh, basilica? Big, fun, big fundraising campaign. So, you know, what would they talk about? So the people are, if you've ever been in, in any time where the government is proposing raising taxes that's a discussion point and if you you know you, if you went to McDonald's or the local coffee shop whatever when somebody's proposing a tax increase I can guarantee you the old guys are talking about the tax increase and you you have to believe all over Germany in fact all over Europe people are having conversations about all the fundraising stuff that's going on and getting siphoned off and ending up in Italy well, they talk about, for example, uh, gee, you mean I don't have to pay money to get my aunt released from purgatory? Or uh... Well, yeah, now you're talking the theological stuff that came out. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's you part know? of it. I mean, of course, you see, where Luther was saying this is nonsense, it doesn't, this is silly. Yeah, well, not, yeah, not, o- not only are the, people, are the people ticked off about just the, the, the money, and, you know, you're talking poor people, you know, the, the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. But then underneath that, there's a reason why Luther says 
woe to all this, other than just the, the simple injustice of it, there's a deep theological reason for it. Oh, yeah. The it, Luther is basically saying, you guys are trying to sell the forgiveness of sins. Uh, that's not in the scriptures. You, you know, we can't, it doesn't fly. And that must have been a huge eye-opener for this, for this illiterate peasantry, peasantry that had been brought up being told by the local priest that you had to do X, Y, and Z for salvation. This is why it had to be done. And then to actually have the Scripture say nothing about it. No. Well, and not, and not just the illiterate peasantry, but even, even the educated are caught on by this. Because, you know, the people that can read, I mean, underneath this cause of the Reformation— is it, 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 that that is aided and abetted by the the printing press? Is there had been a revolution in in scholarship focusing on the original text? The the whole Renaissance movement part of it was back to the sources, and so people were reengaged in reading the scriptures, not in the Latin translation, but in the original Hebrew and the original Greek. And the great humanist scholar uh, Erasmus had recently published. A, a uh, you know an updated edition of the Greek of the Greek New Testament, for example, and that's what Luther is working with, as I understand, when when he's reading Romans and other and other things, and realizing that the way the Church had translated various things uh, was erroneous, perhaps intentionally. Oh, you mean were were they? Intentionally mis mistranslated, do you suppose? Teaching erroneous intentionally? Yeah. Oh. Because it certainly gave a lot more power to the Vatican. You know, it would seem, it would seem like that. Um, it might have been with some... Whoops, are you there? Is that you had... Tradition is a huge deal... In, in in Christian history, a huge deal for Roman Catholicism. And you have, you know, early early traditions developing that that have, you know, works having merit, and that it, it's kind of a snowball that's rolling downhill and gathers speed over time, and then, there, then there's a whole tradition behind it over time, and, and because tradition is placed right alongside or even above Scripture and Roman Catholicism, it, it acquires a weight that for a lot of Protestant types like us, we have a hard time understanding it. So, you know, I guess to be intellectually charitable, you know, there might have been people back at the, at the get-go that said, you know, we can work this to our own benefit. Mm -hmm. My sense is it just kind of happened that way. Yeah, well, I remember um, hearing a joke about... Um a scholar in uh, in the Vatican had gone down to read the old books, try to translate them, and suddenly the people hear this bang, 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 and they go down and into the deep parts of the library, and there is the old man banging his head up against the wall, saying over to himself again and again and again, celebrate, not celibate, celebrate, not celibate. <laughs> That sounds like a far side cartoon. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, good gravy. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. If you have the cartoon for that, I want the reference. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, I just, 
I just spent a, I just spent about an hour in a Catholic supply store in Milwaukee earlier today, so that would have been fun to have. Um, <laughs> I, I forgot where I heard that, but I'll find, <laughs> I'll find out. <laughs> yeah, if you find it, let me know. Okay. That'd be a treat. But, you know, this is something that Lutherans have always done. I mean, from the beginning with Luther, with, where the printing press suddenly spread this wonderful message, is that we Lutherans have always made use of technology to spread yeah. the, me- the gospel message. I mean, look at KFUO. We went on the air in 1924. 1924! Yeah. We were one of the very first radio stations ever established in this country. And we've been broadcasting ever since. Now we've got the Internet. We're on that as well. And people are hearing us all over the world. We, we get responses all the time now. And that's, that's an amazing thing. We have been given these tools by God, and we're utilizing them. And that's something Lutherans have always done. Indeed. Do you, I, I'm just curious, mm-hmm. sitting here on the front porch as we are, do you know what, what the what the usage numbers or number of listeners that you have uh n- i don't know the Internet i don't know, i don't know the exact numbers i do know uh i'm going to give you some ballpark we actually had a discussion about this the other day uh in the broadcast area we estimate our uh, listenership at about 10,000 uh from the internet it's closer to 100,000 we these are some of the feedbacks that we're getting and uh you know I, I we're 10 we've got 10,000 hits right now on our facebook page and i know downstairs where the communications department handles their uh they're separate from us and they handle their own uh, internet work and i know they're well up in the hundreds of thousands So that's uh, that's quite a that's quite a thing, you know. Like like uh, Luther's printing the printing press with Luther suddenly spreading not just from his little tiny town in Württemberg, but all over Europe, and now we're spreading the same message all over the world. And by the silence, I have the the worst feeling that we have lost you on the line. Are you there? Okay. Well, we seem to have a bit of a problem. I'm going to ask our. Uh, Producer, uh, Jenny, if she can perhaps get uh, Lance back on the line for us. We did have a problem. He dropped out. So she should be getting that. So that is an intriguing question, though. I mean, how we use, how we utilize these gifts that uh, God gave us. You know, we have our brains. We have our, our, our knowledge. We know how to do these things. And how we use them is is the question. Is this a... A good thing or is it a bad thing? Uh, you know, God gives us all these different powers. And we've discovered how to do this. And uh, now we're utilizing it for for good and for bad. You know, one of the most discouraging things that I found is that one of the biggest single uses of the Internet is for pornography. Think about that for a minute. Pornography. Something that degrades the very human existence instead of glorifying our human existence, instead of glorifying who and what we are for the, for the Lord. Uh, that, that can't be right. And this was one of the things that Luther recognized. And I think we may have Lance back. Hello, Lance, you there? I am. I'm sorry. I don't know what happened. We're sitting on my landline, and all of a sudden I couldn't hear you. Whoops. Well, now we're here. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Oh, I apologize to the listeners. Yeah. No, I was discussing while, uh, while you were off the air, I was discussing how uh, the technology that we have been given uh, 
is used, you know, like we are using it now to spread the gospel message. But one statistic that really is a horrifying one for me is that the largest single usage of the Internet is for pornography. Yeah. And what a degrading thing for the human spirit that is, you know, the the issue aside of, of objectifying women. My God, it also objectifies the man who who does this kind of thing. It it It's degrading to the person who searches it out. It is degrading to the to the person who's being exploited. And let's not even think about child pornography. That that's that's beyond the kin. We've got the old, uh, you know, people who say I, that the I devil imagine di- that I imagine that the printing press enabled that to spread very easily. I mean, you I, you know you look and you look in some of those medieval even medieval Bibles and literature, mm-hmm. you see some quasi pornographic stuff uh, copied by monks. Oh. I can only I, I can imagine that the printing press made that made that whole thing a lot easier well you so know it, you're right you know the same print process that gives us the bible also gives us hustler magazine and a host of other things oh yeah yep. so, but it's a it's a mixed bag right it is indeed um and i, I think luther was aware of this the widespread of the message could be misused and and why and widespread? I mean, this goes back centuries, but widespread uh, misuse of people's names. Mm. You know, we talk about what we call you know the number the, the eighth commandment: you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Mm-hmm. And we should, and by that Luther explains this in the small catechism that you know we should fear and love God so that we do not tell lies about our neighbor, betray him, slander him, or hurt his reputation. But defend him, right? Uh, there were all kinds of stuff written under Luther's name that wasn't actually written by Luther. Uh, all kinds of that garbage that was going on. You could put Luther's name on some spurious thing and get it printed all over the place. Yeah, they didn't have any, such a thing as copyright laws back then. You know, people could do whatever they wanted. And uh, actually, it reminds me a little bit of today's Twitter and Facebook. Oh sure, a lot, or just the internet, the internet in general. In general, oh, I mean, yeah. all kinds. You know, fake news is a, was a big part of the last election. It mm-hmm. will be a big part of the next one. Oh yeah. So you got to figure out what's right and what isn't. You know, this is one of the, this is one of the beauties of of when of when the Bible was translated, so that people could actually see what was true and what wasn't. You know, you, you hear one thing from the from the priest who's talking in Latin. You hear one thing from the 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 uh, rabble rouser on the street, and then there's holy scripture. And well, and that that is that is a great gift. I mean, and and worthy of note and and reflecting on a little bit related to the topic that we were just talking about. I you know I am I am extremely frustrated trying to find out what's going on in the world in and trying to get information from news outlets, mm. it just appears to me are often just yellow, bent, and and often really not terribly interested in objectivity. Well, part of my job here is to, you know, I do newscasts daily on those things. So one of the things I do uh, is I do some pretty in-depth 
scanning of what's in the news today, and I, I go to a, a variety of different sources, anything from the BBC all the way over to Fox. I read various newspapers, and you're right. It's, it's amazing. There'll be the same story will appear in CNN, and it's a different story completely in Fox, and a different story totally on the AP, a different story on the AFP. It's, it's weird. And, you know, since my training is as a journalist. Right. Uh... And I have to say, I'm 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 a little embarrassed for my chosen profession. It's become something it was never intended to be. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting to me to talk about this because what you what you you just mentioned a minute ago in terms of the scriptures having the truth. For for me, I, I find myself so uh, sometimes so just utterly irritated by what is clearly yellow journalism on, I think on either side of the aisle, that it has actually made me appreciate my scriptures all the more. Um, and what a, what a gift that is for people to have the scriptures in their own language, that they can know the truth that sets them free from all the garbage that's all around us. Well, a classic case in point is we hear certain politicians today, and even certain churches, will be saying that there's no problem with homosexuality. Not if you read scripture. That's yellow journalism. That's yellow or, or yeah, yellow, or yellow theology. Or no with this, or you can change your gender, and that's perfectly okay, and, you know, God wants it. You know, people say that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and somehow pretend that that's sanctioned by God, sanctioned in the Bible? Yeah. Uh, what are they reading? It ain't, it ain't Holy Scripture. <laughs> well, and that's, you know, you, you have to, and that's, it's, it's helpful profoundly to have access to God's Word in, in your own language. And what a, what a significant difference that makes you know and that we have to we have to wrestle with that in in so many different ways wrestle with different teachings and so forth i remember years ago i had you know at the first parish i served in ohio you know i had went for a ride in a car with the, you know i'm a new pastor riding around and and this guy says you know pastor i really think we need to open up the altar and let anybody come that wants to come that's a christian and i said well um, I said, you know, it is, it is hard, isn't it? But here's the problem for me is that I took vows to be faithful to the scriptures and to the Lutheran confessions, and I open up 1 Corinthians 11, and it says that if you do not discern the, the body of Christ, that you've sinned against Christ. You know, I said to the guy, I said, what do you do with that? Um, and he just kind of was quiet. Mm. Um I said I can't. I can't, in good conscience, just say y'all come when there's a warning in Scripture, and then it goes on to say this is why some of you are sick and weak, and some of you have even died. Um, you know, that's not a convenient teaching, <laughs> but there it is. You know, I had a I had a similar experience some years back. I was at a, a church in California, and uh, we were getting ready for communion. I remember uh, there was a woman standing behind me saying, oh, why, why, why don't they offer grape juice as well? And I turned to her and said, 
you know, the Bible says wine, not grape juice. And, you know, that that's a case in point. Now, certainly, I, I we make accommodations for people who, for example, are recovering alcoholics. I know within my own congregation, for example, uh, what we can do is the Bible doesn't say how much wine is required, just that it has to be present. So, you know, you take a drop of wine in a, in a little bit of water, that will suffice. Or we have another uh, one where... What for, we do, by the way. Yeah, with, with a, a common cup. Just put it to your lips and you can... You, you, you can taste it. And that's the way it works. But the scripture is clear. It has to be wine. Well, they also just really didn't have grape juice. <laughs> right. they, didn't have, they didn't have that option, except maybe for the first hour or so after it was harvested. Yeah, because it was going to ferment regardless. <laughs> so, yeah, they, they, didn't, they didn't have grape juice. That, that really wasn't an option. It's funny you bring that up because I went today, part of my day today was I visited... Uh, I went towards Milwaukee and visited. We got a man in a hospital recovering from cancer and a hip replacement, and so I went to see him and take him communion. But our the communion wine that we use at St. Paul's, I'm not terribly fond of, mm-hmm. and it's just a box wine. And I've, I've always wanted us to try something different, so I went to a Catholic supply store and picked up samples of some other options well, today in Milwaukee. So we're going to have a little... Communion wine tasting in a couple weeks here. Ooh, I like that idea. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Lance, I got to take a little break here at the bottom of the hour, but we got a lot more to talk about, so stick around. type of person who loves their community and wants it to be the best it can be now it's easier than ever to do your part go to recyclemode.com to see just how easy it is to recycle the right way or if you already recycle and want to be as efficient as possible recyclemode.com can tell you what should and should not be recycled in your area become part of the clean recycling movement today it's the right thing to do sponsored by the missouri department of natural resources Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233. 800-843-5233. Human beings have a frightening capacity for both good and evil. The different ways we relate to strangers reveal the contradiction of being human. Dr. Michael Ziegler explores this human contradiction and how God resolves it in a message titled Stranger Danger, this week on The Lutheran Hour. Sundays at 12.30 and 5 p.m. on Worldwide KFUO.
Did you know that your individual retirement account may make the best gift to KFUO? The IRS now allows individuals 70 and a half or older to transfer their required minimum distribution directly to charity and avoid paying the associated income tax. These gifts can provide regular long-term resources to KFUO. If you have questions about making an IRA gift to KFUO, call me, Mary, at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions and help you establish a legacy of giving to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO. In 1800, 15-year-old Mary Jones, after saving her pennies for six years, walked barefoot 25 miles across the rugged Welsh countryside to buy her very own Bible. That story inspired Reverend Joseph Hughes, who was already providing Bibles for many of his countrymen. He spoke out passionately at a meeting of church leaders. If for Wales, why not for the kingdom? And if for the kingdom, why not for the world? Within months, the British and Foreign Bible Society was born, the first of its kind. Today, United Bible Societies, a network from over 200 countries, helps provide almost three-quarters of the world's Bible translations. UBS reports the Bible is now available in 692 languages and used by 5.6 billion people. Engage with the Bible, this book of books. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. You're listening to Let's Talk, the Pastor is It. I'm program host Kip Allen. And uh, Lance O'Donnell from Akamanoic, Wisconsin, and I have been discussing the impact of the Reformation, why Luther succeeded, but Jan Hus did not, largely because of the printing press. And we're going to move into some other topics here in this next half hour. And if you'd like to join us in the conversation, if you're in St. Louis, call us at area code 314-8210-850 or 1-800-730-2727. Okay, Lance, I'm supposed to be a professional broadcaster, and one of the things you learn early in this business is that Mr. Microphone doesn't work if he's not turned on. Sure. <sighs> I, I, I'm, a, I'm a professional pastor, <laughs> and I, I have the same issue now and then. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, I was, we're ha we had some sound issues now and then. I said, can everybody hear me? Nobody could hear me. They couldn't hear me. Can you hear me? And then I reached in my pocket and realized I hadn't turned the microphone on. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. Even those who do this all the time sometimes forget to turn their microphones on. Oh, I remember one time I was interviewing a district attorney on some big cases that he had been doing with, um, I, I was with a tape recorder and was interviewing it, and I suddenly looked down, and after about 20 minutes into the interview and realized that the microphone cord was not plugged into the tape recorder. Oh, that was not a good day. <clears throat> but speaking of days, uh, yesterday was, of course, October 31st, Reformation Day. And today is All Saints Day. What Indeed. is All I beg your pardon? Indeed it is. What is the significance of it? What actually is All Saints Day? All Saints is the remembrance of those who died in the faith um, or live in the, you know, or presently live in the faith. There's a slightly different, you know, Lutherans, uh, for Lutherans, All Saints Day is a, is a thanksgiving um, and, a, and a remembrance. The, the celebration of All Saints in medieval Roman Catholicism was 
a festival associated with praying to saints, trying to get them their merits to be applied to people on earth and things of that things of that nature. All Saints is a very different thing for us than it was for them. So ours is a remembrance of of. In fact, I've got a. Uh, you, you sent me a copy of the sermon that you're preparing, and uh, one of the things that you you stress over and over and over again, and this is, who are you remembering today? So let's, well, let's, let's unpack that a little bit. bit. Tradition here at St. Paul's that I know a lot of congregations do, but on, on All Saints Day, we remember uh, by name um, and with the tolling of the bell, uh, each member of the congregation who died and went to be with the Lord in the last year, or since the last All Saints Day. So it's, um, that's part of the tradition here. And in, in the process, we also remember all those who have gone before us and are with the Lord. And then we remind ourselves uh, that all who believe are saints, even those who haven't died yet, and that means the people sitting in the pew as well, and we have that concept of uh, simultaneously sinner and saint. Correct. And yep. that, that's a, a believer in Christ is, a, you know, and Paul addresses in many of his letters, the opening is something like unto to the saints in Ephesus or, and so forth. Yeah, that, that's kind of a difficult concept, I think, for a lot of Protestants and even Catholics, or maybe especially Catholics, to uh, unpack the idea of simultaneously being both. Well, it is, um, it is a brilliant and simple exposition of the truth of, of Scripture and of how people experience life in Christ. I know very, very, very few Christians, you know, some of the perfectionist type of, of, of Christian church bodies, that, you know, once you're, once you're in Christ, you're, you're just a saint, and the, the old sinner is gone, you know, using Paul's language. Mm-hmm. But... The reality is, is, as hard as you try and live this, uh, and Luther experienced this, and this is at the root of the Reformation itself, he tried to be perfect. Oh, yeah. And failed. In fact, the harder he tried, the more he failed. The harder he tried, the more he realized what a sinner he was, even in, that even in the good he did, it was tinged with with selfish motive. And so, you know, he cries out with, like unto Paul in Romans 7, you know, who will rescue me from this body of death? And then he's reading his Greek New Testament and the passage in Romans, in the, in the gospel, in the good news, there's a righteousness from God that is revealed. It's not my own righteousness that reaches God. It's God is righteous or perfect for me. And he gives this, his, his perfection, his righteousness to me, as a gift. Salvation is a gift. And that's what that's the heart of the Refor- that's the heart of the Reformation. Um, and and truthfully, the heart of any proper celebration of All Saints Day. Well, I got into a discussion not too long ago with one of the with one of my coworkers here, um, you know, about what's going to happen when we when we actually pass on to the next. And I said, you know, I, I have I have this one problem, or I have this one vision in my mind where I'm going to go up 
and there will be St. Peter. And I'm going to have to answer some very hard questions. And my friend said, no, all you have to do is to point to Jesus and say, I'm with him. I, I think your friend is, <laughs> that's what, he's our substitute. He's, he's, the, he's the mediator. He's the intercessor. You know, he, he wraps us. I mean, he, that's, he is the man uh, for, for us. We, you know, he has claimed us. We, we, stand, we stand before God on the basis of the merits of Christ alone. And, um, you know, there are all kinds of scriptures related to, uh, you know, giving answer to what you have done, but it, all, but it all comes under the heading of first that, you know, that Christ has claimed us. Yeah, he has. I mean, and, and in fact, you, there's one of the quotes that you uh, you have here. Uh, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that. I go to prepare. Oh, why would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you there myself. That where you may also be. Wow. That's and that's God's that's God's promise. To all of us, and I think, it, it, you know, a particularly wonderful promise to remember at All Saints Day, um, because in part of the, you know, the, the the text of the sermon that I sent you is, you know, when you remember people who have gone before us, you know, like when I was in the studio with you last month in October, mm-hmm. when we were talking about your mother on the on the anniversary of her 106, what would have been her 106th birthday. Right, I remember very well. You know when when you when you remember those who died, you remember the good things, but you also you also remember some of the troubles and difficulties. You know, I can't. You know, I I can't think of my. You know, my father. You know, whose death was so significant for me, um, without you know, thinking of some of the difficulty that surrounded it. And, you know, you can, in, the, in there, we, we, as it were, have a choice before us. Are we going to focus on the problems or are we going to focus on the thanksgiving? You know, we can't help but think about some of the difficulties, but I, I believe Christ would have us focused on, on the thanksgiving, focus on the grace. That's true, but I, I also remember in the book of Job where he is thankful also for his misfortune. Without having misfortune, how can you fully measure how fortunate you are? Well, now you're starting to sound like St. Paul, too, right? You know, give <laughs> thanks in all circumstances. Or, you know, a passage that I quoted in my homily for this weekend, count it all joy, brothers, James, right? When, when you encounter trials of visit, that, that takes a pretty mature faith in the midst of everything hitting the fan <laughs> to be able to say, thank you, Lord. I you think know? we've both been there, Mitt Lance. We have, you know, and, and I, you know, I can't say that without thinking of, and for, forgive me if we've talked about this before, but you know, my welcome to the ministry right after, even right, be, even before I was ordained, the congregation that I was called to had an F4 tornado go through town. Oh boy. It was about, this is in Van Wert, Ohio, which is about 45 minutes from Fort Wayne, Indiana. 
We drove over that afternoon after the tornado goes through. Um, one of the elders drives me out into the country, and we meet um, Carl Font, whose home had been pretty much totally destroyed. And to add insult to injury, some kid had, in the wake of the tornado had come and stole a couple of his ATVs oh, and drove off. With um, and Carl, I, I, meet, I meet the guy for the first time, Kip. I mean, I haven't even been ordained yet. I meet the guy for the first time, and he responds to me with Job. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the Lord. Mm. Uh, you know, it, 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 it will always be for me, in my experience as a pastor, one of the great examples of faith that I will have ever seen. I mean, he had just lost everything. And he quotes Job and says, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the Lord. Hmm. It was an amazing thing. Incredible faith. Very inspirational. Yeah. Now the late Carl Font. And he is, he was a saint to the Lord then, and he's now with the Lord. Uh, a great a great man who I love very much. So this is one of the things that we have to remember on All Saints Day, is we, we look at these people who have gone before us, uh, our friends, acquaintances, even people we don't know, and maybe even people we don't like, and and remember their their journey and their trials and their and their journey. You know how perhaps they have found God, how they found their their way, and be thankful for it. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, and uh, you know one of the one of the ki- one of the kids I mentioned in my you know things that I remember at All Saints Day. I was thinking about. Scott Hudson, who is the son of, you know, one of my organists in Ohio, and Scotty struggled with addiction from the, you know, from time he was a teenager, and he overdosed mm. on Christmas Eve. I don't remember what what year it was, oh four, oh five, oh six, something like that. Um, and you know, when, you know, at his funeral, I remember what we talked about is. The Christian faith is not about having it all figured out. The Christian faith is about is is about what God has done for us, and placing our faith in those promises. It's not placing in our faith in how well we have we have it all put together. Our faith our faith is in what Christ has done for us, and and it's not any other way. And you know, and Scotty had his share of troubles, and a lot of them. And, and on that day, we leaned on God's promises, and that, that comforted all of us. And let's hope in his final moments he, he recognized the Lord. Yeah, I don't think—I I mean, I have every reason to believe that, that he was always there, and he had this great abiding struggle, um, you know, like so many addicts that I know. Um, you know— it, it's one of the great, one of the helpful things about recognizing the saint and sinner thing. Um, you know, we we all have a besetting sin. You know, something that particularly bugs us, the thorn in the flesh, as Saint Paul calls us. And because you struggle with addiction, doesn't necessarily mean that you hate Christ. It means you've got a particularly troubling sin. Um, and it's possible both to love Jesus and to struggle with an addiction at the same time. 
Well, I've read numerous times of, of, of former addicts who say, I got through it because of faith, because of Jesus. And they went on to to do some very inspirational things. Uh, for example, the guy, um, gosh, I forgot the fellow's name, but he's the guy who invented this this pillow that you hear advertised all the time. He was sure. a cocaine addict. The guy in Minnesota, the, the my pillow guy? Yeah, that's the guy. Uh, he was oh, no a, kidding. Yeah, no, yeah, I didn't know that. He was very upfront about it. He was a cocaine addict. And he kicked it through through uh, the help of of Christ, and he's he's been he has said he's thankful every day for that. Yep, you know I have piles piles of addiction in my own family. I'm you know I struggled with you know, in my depression after my dad died with alcohol usage. I'm very thankful that um, that stopped before it got totally out of control. Um, you know, and that's, you know, that's, uh, I have other members, you know, other members, friends and members of my family who struggles persisted in a way that mine didn't. And to some degree, that's inexplainable to me because it could have just as easily been me. Well, we have discussions here, you know, among the, the staff at the IC, um, just informal stuff. And, you know, you hear a lot of very similar stories, you know, someone who's, oh, gee, my, my brother is, uh, has just been in, has just, just been going to prison, or my son is, is once again, is, a dr- is on drugs. You, know, think, you hear these things all the time, and yet these people still have their faith. And that, to me, is very inspirational, you know, that they're going through incredibly difficult times. I mean, what is, what is more hurtful than to see one of, a member of your family in this kind of trouble. Destroying him or herself, right. Yeah, and yet they still have their faith. Right, and and I don't want our listeners to think that that's an excuse. No. Because it's not. Um, Any more than, you know, like a thing I saw on the Babylon Bee the other day where the the great satire site where um, (laughs) the, uh, the, the guy goes after, you know, obese pastor... Uh, preaches sermon against drunkenness. Um, <laughs> morbidly obese pastor preaches against drunkenness. Uh, yeah, isn't that guy great? I um, love that. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah, goes after so everybody. <laughs> it's, um, you know, and I, I don't want to make equivalents. There's no, there's no, ex- there's no excuse for it. I mean, there's, there's a better way to take care of the temple of your body, mm-hmm. but you know, we all, we all have an old sinful nature. And until the Lord takes us to himself, that sinful nature is still at work. Well, and the old Adam there, is very much present in, in all of us. The devil, the world, the sinful nature all conspire to not, to, to not have us keep God's name holy. And that's why, that's why living as a Christian is so bloody hard. Yeah. You know, it would be a lot easier if suddenly we were to see demons and devils walking around. You know, oh, my gosh. But that's not how how Satan works. He's subtle. He works within us. He gives us temptation. You know, just these very subtle things, these very subtle weaknesses that we somehow know are wrong at the time, but we do anyway. Yep. You know, that's that's the thing about, about evil is that it has to be attractive. Otherwise, what power does it have? 
Right. And often, and often, the devil uses really good things and twists them. Oh yeah. You know, we 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 talked about that before as well a little bit. You know, that's we have to be mindful of that. The you know, got a, a good marriage can be twisted. <laughs> you know, you you can be you can be you can be so crazy about your wife that she basically becomes an idol, a false god. Mm. You know, you can be so you can be so you know, you could have had a bad childhood, for example, or some aspect and you can be so dedicated to your kids that you just you their your their whole your your whole life revolves around them and you end up you making your children into an idol and they end up spoiled brats. Helicopter parenting. Well, you know, can't, uh, the, you know anything, and this is Luther in the large catechism explaining, any, anything to which your heart clings, you know, for in trust, that is your God. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Make sure any, you trust the right thing. <laughs> well, right. This, and this also is what Reformation Day is about. It's what All Saints Day is about. Um because we're not, you know, we're we're not going to pray to this. We're not going to pray to those who have died. Um, we're going to recognize that these were flawed people just like us, and they clung to Christ in pray, in faith. And we're going to pray that God would, by His Spirit, uh, help us also, and in, in spite of whatever difficulty, also to to cling to Christ alone for salvation and life. And they know that there will be trials ahead. And right in the midst of it. <laughs> oh, yeah. boy, that is so true. You know, Not I only ahead, but right, but right now. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm having a few myself. I'm sure you are as well. But, I'm sure you are. <laughs> but I remember, you know, looking back in my life where I've had some really unfortunate things happen to me and really made some really bad choices. And you know those things? Those things led me here. It was a rough road, but boy, I finally got to where I, where I need to be. Right, and so now you can look back and you can say, thank you, God, for doing what only you can do and working all things together for good. Yeah. Once again, going through the book of Job. Although I have to say, sometimes <laughs> I wish that God didn't quite have so much faith in me. <laughs> My ability to overcome this stuff, <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it it can be that. I mean, that I, you know, when when I, in my sermon last last week, yeah, week before, I'm trying. We were talking about this. The the text was there was a, a epistle text from Second Timothy about the past. You know, the pastor's work to correct and rebuke and exhort and so forth. And I said, you know, part of my job as a pastor is to come alongside you and as you're wrestling with God and wondering why and and I say why with you, but ultimately my job is to point myself and to point you uh, to Christ and not to, fo- not to focus on our troubles, but to focus on the God who has claimed us. Um, you know, we all at one point shake our fist and we go, Lord, what's going on here? Um, and the question is, is whether we're going to be like David and, you know, and ultimately place our trust in God, or are we going to be like Judas? and place our trust somewhere else. Well, a lot to think about, and that's what this program is about. Lance, I want to thank you for joining me this weekend, this uh, today, and uh, 
Let's do this again in the not-too-distant future. You've been listening to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. You've been listening to The Pastor is In, a weekly chance to chat with a pastor. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting The Pastor is In on Worldwide KFUO.